Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I am here with Emily Rose. She is a wellness blogger. She writes a blog called Miss Magnolia Says, which is awesome. It's focused on mental health. And we're going to talk about that. She's also a yoga teacher and author. She's also a school psychologist. Um, she's writing on the internet in very open ways to encourage dialogue and relating to stories about mental health for all of her readers, and I can't do it justice. So Emily, would you like to tell us more about Miss Magnolia Says and your blog? And we'll talk all about that. Absolutely, thanks for the intro, Andy. Um, yeah, so I write for my blog. It's called Miss Magnolia Says, not to rip off of Chip and Joe, um, but I grew up on Magnolia Drive. So it, a lot of the things that I talk about on the blog are, um, childhood related, life related, all of the things. And so I decided this would be a really cool name where I can kind of tag a place that I used to live and where a lot of important things in my life kind of started. Um, so that's what I do. I write real stories um, from my life and um, talk about different concepts that a lot of people go through. So for example, one of like my most popular articles is about imposter syndrome. So I talk about how I've experienced that in my life, what imposter syndrome might look like for other people, and then kind of give tips on how to address it um, and battle it in your own life. So the whole goal of the blog is to kind of foster connection back to others and back to ourselves. It's a lot of, um, I find that reading the stories of other people is almost a a little piece of self-discovery because when you hear something written or um, you know hear something story or hear someone's story, excuse me, you kind of have an, another sense of oh my gosh, like that is exactly what I've experienced. I just didn't know how to say it. So um, that's why I love writing. That's why I love reading. My nightstand is constantly stacked with at least five memoirs that I'm reading all at the same time. It's chaos, um, but that is me. <laughs> That's awesome. We need a lot more of that. on the, When you and I first connected about this, mm -hmm. we talked about how the internet just needs a lot more real voices. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really thought that that was awesome because, so give me an, so you were talking about imposter syndrome as your most, your most popular article so far. And I think that that's a huge thing with my listeners, a huge thing with mm. people just in general. Um, they feel that they are inadequate to show up in the ways that they want to show up. I actually did not read that article. Would you like to tell my listeners a little bit more about it and what you were talking about and some tips and, and all of that? Yeah, sure. Well, imposter syndrome, I think, is different for everybody. It's, of course, multi-layered and it doesn't care you know, if you got straight A's in high school or how many degrees you have or how qualified you truly are to do something, even if it's just life experience, <clears throat> excuse me, I think we discount um, life experience as something that qualifies us to talk about something or do something for a lot of reasons. One, it's just something we kind of happened upon by accident. So it doesn't always feel like we're doing a preparation for a specific thing. And also in the society we live in, of course, college education, graduate education is, is held to kind of a higher standard because it costs a lot of money and capitalism like wants you to believe you need 
this thing that costs $80,000 in order to be qualified to do, you know, whatever it is. And I think that discounts how much life experience really weighs on um, qualifying you to do any one thing or speak to any one population because you can relate and that's not from a textbook. So free is almost seen as like life experience is free. You don't have to pay for it. And so it's almost seen as like free is less valuable, which is complete and total bullshit. (laughs) Free is not less valuable. And many times it's more valuable because it's more specific. Um, It's more impactful than just like, okay, everyone read chapter 11 and write a paper on it and whatever. We may not ever come across this scenario in chapter 11 in our real jobs or real lives. So um, I think imposter syndrome first comes from um, capitalism. And then for women, you know, we're often told that, um, you know, having a career is almost like self-indulgent a little bit because, you know, we are or were, I think that's changing, but seen more as like the helpers and the supporters and the, oh, it's really cute that you want to do all these things. But like, that's not um, what society deems not necessarily appropriate. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, I guess typical. So we're kind of working against this current of all these different societal factors, economic factors, and then just personal self-doubt. Um, if you haven't seen anybody do what you what you do or what you want to do with the qualifications you have, then you could second guess yourself. So there's so many things that go into it. And just knowing that everybody's making it up as they go. There's no rule book for life. Like yeah. we're all just figuring it out as we go. So it's natural to feel like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes you don't and that's okay and that's normal. Um, but just having the confidence to say like, I'm going to show up anyway, I'm going to continue to affirm that like, I'm here for a reason. What I want to do is purposeful to somebody and I enjoy it. So I'm going to keep doing it no matter how I feel. Life experience is, (laughs) I have a lot of degrees behind my name that cost me a lot of money. And Mm -hmm. I can't think of life. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I have money behind these degrees, money Mm -hmm. that I'll never pay back. And the most valuable life experience that the most valuable experience that helps me in my coaching is my year's tending bar. Like Mm -hmm. there is nothing that could, could rival that. I was in a, a coaching program recently and just, we went through a whole big chunk of rapport and talking about rapport. That was something that I learned. Yeah. from being with people for years and people do, they discount that. They think, Oh, that's not, that's not worthy. That's not. And Mm -hmm. it's like, if you feel that you have it in yourself to do something like you do like that's (laughs) that's right. And uh, as it with women, yes, totally. I remember this is now, now we're going to go back to my big chunk of change education, but about Mm -hmm. the whole thing about the expectations of women. I mean, there was a long-term sociological concept like called the second shift, which was about how women were, yeah, you can go to work, but then you also have to raise your kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. Um, I have another question for you. You were talking about life experience and basing, you know, what you're writing about on your own life experience. And I know that you and I had some conversations about your early life and you were talking to me about the first time that you realized that you could set boundaries for yourself. Mm -hmm. And would you like to talk about that? Because I found that to be really inspiring and that was a really powerful story. Yes, this is one of my favorite stories to tell because I think we all have what I describe as like a thought bubble where it's like we have this belief that just kind of floats around in our brain totally unobstructed until somebody comes up to us with a needle and is like, pop, that's not real. And so this was kind of that experience. I was, I was, I don't know, 15 or 16 sitting on the pleather futon in my therapist's office. And I was just sitting there with my notebook because I come to everything so studious, so ready to change and, you know, take the next steps and whatever. Um, But I was sitting there like, I don't know what to do. In my specific situation back then, my dad was very emotionally and psychologically abusive. He dealt with a lot of his own traumas. And so I was in this terrible, 
tense space of like having empathy for this person, but also being hurt by this person. And I was too young to move out, too young to really like get a job or a car or whatever. And I felt completely stuck, like at war in this relationship that wasn't working and just feeling like, well, what am I going to do, run away? And so my therapist um, asked me, have you ever thought about setting some boundaries? And I looked at her with this like first total fury, like, of course I've thought about that. What do you want me to do? And then second, um, complete just confusion thinking, what, what are you, what kind of boundaries can I place against like my parent? I don't understand. I live in this home. And so she saw the look on my face, which was, I think, saying all of the things I was experiencing. And she said, why don't you not answer the phone every time that he calls? Because at this point he had moved out and was in an apartment. My parents were divorcing. And she was like, why don't you not answer the phone every time he calls? Or why don't you, when he asks for you to come over for dinner at five o'clock um, and he'll pick you up, why don't you say something like, um, I'm available at 6.30 on this day to meet you at a restaurant. Like just start like having doses of your own control. Like you have a say in this to some degree. It might not be the thing that you want, which is just to have a life free of this chaos, but you can start kind of experiencing small doses of your own taking back control of your life, then starting to recognize in every situation the choices that exist to you. And it was totally life-changing for me to sit there and hear this. I was like, oh my God, I can, I can do something like I can do anything. Cause I just felt like totally helpless in this position. Um, so yeah, I love telling that story. I think it applies to so many different things. There's so many thought bubbles that, you know, we walk around with until somebody is just like, Hmm, I wonder, I wonder if you'd consider this. <laughs> I like the imagery of the thought bubble because we really mm-hmm. don't know yeah, we don't really know. And then all of a sudden we're awake and we're like, oh, fuck. OK, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Boundary setting is just a big thing in general for like a lot of people, particularly women. Um, and I think you and I talked about this, too, about things that people think that they should do, that they have to do, mm-hmm. that they need to do. And how do you get away from that? Like, what would you say? would be a good, yeah. you know, good ways for you to say, no, I don't have to, I don't need to do this. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to indulge in this, like not indulge. I don't need to engage with you in this way. Like for people, like, do you have uh, people that you, that you share your writing with or people that you worked with as a psychologist? Like, what would you, what would be some tips that you would offer to those people? to be able to tell them about how they can start kind of placing some space in between themselves and others. Yeah. Um, I think that the most important thing that I like to tell myself is the only rules in life, the only rule I actually subscribe to and think exists is to be kind to yourself and to other people. Everything else is like, you get to decide. As long as you're kind to yourself and other people, you get to decide. So checking in with yourself in any situation and taking a pause and saying like, Hmm, how does this make me feel? And if I do X, Y, Z to appease another person, I might still feel like shit. And is that a life that I want to live? And so then opening it up again to the other choices of what else can I do here? Like, how can I, I have a a post about just creative ways to say no. Like, how do we say no as somebody who naturally is a helper, likes to help people, is very empathetic, but also has a limited amount of brain space and energy during the day that also deserves to go to your life and your things and not always somebody else's things. Um, I think the roles that we play sometimes can be very ingrained, like generationally and just like reinforced with society. Um, for me specifically, you know, I grew up in a family that my grandparents were Sicilian immigrants. So it was very much the blood is thicker than water. And we do yeah. not care if you are individually unhappy. Like you will sit here and eat this lasagna. I don't care what just happened five minutes ago. And so <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> to break that um, 
cycle or that belief pattern where if you decide to protect your own happiness and well-being, you're seen as also then working against family values, which it's really, really hard. And eventually you just have to decide. And here's another visual. Like as we experience these things that feel like shit that we're still doing, it's like a rubber band is stretching every single time. Every single time. It's like I sat here and I was quiet after, you know, whatever just happened. The rubber band stretches. And everybody saw, you know, my grandfather scream at my grandmother in Italian. And even though I don't speak it, like I know that was that was bad. The right. rubber band stretches. And so eventually it's just gonna snap. And you in that snap, it's okay for you to be like, I have a car now, or I have these other options that I see, and I'm not gonna come over this week, or I'm gonna take a pause and just kind of like recollect um, my own thoughts, my own feelings, and decide like, how do I want to participate in this? Like, what does family mean to me? Um, and one thing that I've learned is just there are there's so much fear surrounding those types of decisions because to lose like your family or friends, even if it's dysfunctional is really, really hard. And it's something we try to avoid at all costs because we don't know what's on the other side of it. And it could be, you know, happiness. It could be, you know, any things we just, we don't know. And so what I've experienced, even just talking about like my life stories publicly is there's so much fear and kind of being exposed or being vulnerable, but there are so many people who will privately commend you and say, thank you so much for saying that I've experienced X, Y, Z or whatever. And there's much fewer, but much louder people who will publicly say you're the worst or like you suck and you should never have done this and whatever. So I would prefer to always, do what makes me feel happy because I also have a life and so do you. So does yeah. everybody. And be privately commended and have these awesome conversations with people who are going through some hard shit or figuring out some stuff that doesn't have clear answers than being afraid of the public, you know, haters. I would always like to stay in that lane. So as far as tips, I would say just take a pause when you're in a moment where you're like, oh, I'm here again and I still hate this. And I always feel like shit when I do X, Y, Z to appease other people. So pause, how do I feel? Consider what options you might have, or even just decide to remove yourself while you think of your options or ask a friend like, hey, what do you think I should do here? But first I would say pause. Second, I would say, consider your choices and just above all else, like you have a life just as much as anyone else has a life. And so for you to constantly kind of hand over your control and your power and your energy to people who stomp all over it is not going to give you, you know, that fulfilled life that everybody is looking for and deserves. And a lot of that comes from family. Like family mm -hmm. is, I, I could say so much on this. I'm going to, I'm going to say mm -hmm. a little, I'm not going <laughs> to say a ton. <laughs> the first thing I'm going to say is that a lot of this really does start because like you, when you were younger, you know, you were a teenager when you were sitting in your, in your therapist, psychiatrist, psychiatrist, therapist. Therapist. Yeah. Yeah. The therapist's mm -hmm. office. So you're in your therapist's office and you're having this conversation and you were like, oh shit, I can do that. And a lot of that does start earlier because when we're young, 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 like little kids, we depend on our parents for survival. Like we will not survive if they don't mm -hmm. take care of us. So mm -hmm. we get this idea that to to that if we need to distance ourselves or we need to take a stand or we need to create space that our brains interpret that as, oh, we're going against survival. I'm like, we're not, we're not surviving because we need these people for survival. And then you get to mm -hmm. a point where you'll survive without them, but our brains don't always catch up that quickly. So our brains give us this message that, oh shit, this is danger. And what does that result mm -hmm. in? Tremendous anxiety, like mm -hmm. tremendous anxiety because your brain thinks, okay, this is dangerous. So your body responds with panic attacks, can't breathe. Yeah. I feel whatever way I feel it's, it's just, it's wild. It's wild how our body does that. 
and mm-hmm. people pleasing people pleasers don't fucking please anybody i mean i know so many people pleasers and they just they're just unhappy people they're 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 trying to make everybody happy mm-hmm. it's impossible <laughs> you just can't do it like you can't make everybody happy it's not a thing and to try to do it is just it, it's kind of futile because you're you're just keeping yourself from that thing that you want. And if you're continuing on that path of, okay, well, I need to make sure that I monitor all my words. So every person around, I'll listen to my voice today. Jeez. I had to, uh, I want to please everybody around me. It's just, it's, it's, you're just going to end up kind of a, a, a lumpy, a lumpy person that doesn't, mm-hmm. that's always kind of looking around to get what you want from others and you never really get it. I mean, all the, all you're getting is, you know, half, half-hearted little responses. So it's mm-hmm. good. Haters. This is the last thing I will talk about before we move on. Haters are hating because they have hate for themselves. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And you know, you know, if they're like triggering, if you, they are triggered by you, they, there is something going on with them. Mm-hmm. My most viral article on medium was about limiting beliefs in running. I, I published it. I had a hate comment within six minutes. Oh my God. Within six (laughs) minutes. That is a dedicated hater. That is dedication to hate. This this was the article that I had that had the most reads out of any article that I ever wrote. And it wasn't even about, it was about limiting beliefs. It was about eliminating your limiting beliefs so that you could do well. There is a whole Reddit thread dedicated to Andy Scarantino hate about this, about (laughs) this article. One of my clients reached out to me and was like, Oh, I I saw on Reddit, these people. And I was, and it was this huge to do. And I didn't find it until months later. And at that point I couldn't even respond to some of it. I mean, they were calling me a liar. They were saying that I was, I mean, they were saying, well, all kinds of shit. And and Mm -hmm. the things that they were saying, I mean, is all, all of like things that I was dishonest about races that I'd run. I'm like, this is all public information. Like you could, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was just ridiculous, but it was because when you say something different, you're going to get a strong response. That's the the risk that you run. Like you're going Mm -hmm. to get if, and if you say something that is powerful enough to make somebody feel something that just comes with the territory, but you have to do it because as you were saying, all these private conversations are going to result Mm -hmm. and we're all walking around like, we're all just walking around with these stories that we want to share with each other. And everybody thinks the other person doesn't have the story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, you, we all are sharing the human experience. We all have the story. Like we all have this, this story and we all think the other person doesn't have the story. And it's like, why? why? I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe yeah, you can I think that's, to- <laughs> well, that's just a really great example of the few and the loud and the public haters but the many who privately read that article and were like, oh my God, this is so cool. I'm going to try running. I'm going to try this. Like if I read that article, I might try running and I hate running. I do not, I cannot, I know I'm, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but it's all really just, I think it's because my brain is so busy. I think it's because my brain is so busy that no matter if I'm listening to music or I just try to get outside and run to pure quiet, I will give up like faster than it took me to put on running clothes and tie my shoes, I swear. So I am sure that you impacted way more people who just didn't comment because they were out in their lives taking this information and using it. So I think that's a really good example that um, we need to tell our stories because the people who read it and use it and love it are so important and Mm -hmm. so worth the risk of the loud, angry haters who can go on a rant for months on an article. And think about like Yelp. Like when are you motivated mm -hmm. to leave a Yelp review? Like I never go have a great, I just was in Savannah this last week and you know, because I was Mm -hmm. telling you about my flight drama and um, which of the listeners, we don't need to get into that. But anyway, (laughs) um, I was in Savannah and I ate at all these great restaurants and I not once wrote a positive, I don't really Yelp. Mm. I never once wrote a positive Yelp review. These were great restaurants. I had great food. I had great service. I wrote nothing. The last mm-hmm. time I had terrible service at a place, yes. here I am on my phone. 
Like mm-hmm. I'm an asshole, but most people like a lot of people are assholes. Like you're motivated yeah. when you're upset to say something about how bad it was. It's very rare that you're motivated when it's so good to be like, wow, this was beautiful. I have so much gratitude for these people that showed up and took care of me. And that's just the human condition. I mean, maybe that's not everybody's mm-hmm. human condition. Some people are practiced to do that. Most people are not. So you can't, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And, you know, there's so mm-hmm. much, we were talking, you and I, about social media. And we were talking about the concept of learned helplessness and you Mm -hmm. wanted to talk on that. And I would love for you to do it because it was fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, learned helplessness. I mean, just the textbook sense there was a study done, I believe by Marty Seligman back in the day. um, And I say this because today I don't think the study would be done because it would be like a PETA issue. But there are things that we learned from experiments that weren't done as ethically as we might do today. And this is one of those. Um, They had a dog in a crate that was either had like an electric collar or there was an electric trip of some kind. And the the cage, um, this dog's cage was open. But every time they tried to leave, the dog tried to leave, it would get shocked. Mm. And so every time it tried to leave, it would get shocked. So it learned like, okay, I'm going to experience pain when I do this. So I'm going to stop doing this. At some point, the experimenters removed the shock element and were trying to coax the dog out and he wouldn't go because Mm -hmm. he learned that I have no control over this. I can't escape. I'm stuck here forever. I will experience so much pain if I even try. Um, And so that's exactly what I was experiencing at the beginning of my therapy journey. I spent lots of time on lots of couches and lots of armchairs in therapist's (laughs) office working through a lot of stuff. But that was the first bubble pop for me is this concept of like, I have no control. There are no options. I will experience so much pain if I even try, or even Mm -hmm. if I even try one thing, if I put one toe out, I will experience an unbearable amount of pain. I can't do it anymore. And so when I reached a point where, you know, the electric shock piece was gone in my life where I had moved out, I was in college. I did have a job where I could take care of myself. Um, I did have health insurance, you know, and I still was kind of sitting in the cage. Like, I don't want to touch this. I don't think I'd get shocked, but I don't want to try. It hurts. Mm. So I think that it's very natural for us to take that fear and apply it to everything. Just like spread it all over the canvas of our lives. It's like, if I do anything, I can experience a horrible negative reaction or a horrible pain. And I think that's so true with social media, especially. Um, But there's this, there's this mindset coach who I follow. Her name is Faith Mariah. And she puts out there, she does a lot of um, trying to get her clientele, like her small business owners that she coaches to go on live video and people like, Nope, I don't want to do it. I'll die. I don't want to do it. It sounds horrible. Maybe like my neighbor will see and it will be too embarrassing and I will die. <laughs> so I have, to, I have something to say on this, by the way. I yes. have something that's so relevant to this, but please go. Okay, good. Yes, I promise it will not be, it will not be long. But she, no, says, okay. <laughs> she says, act as if, because it's true, there is somebody who urgently needs to hear what you have to say. There will people, there will be people who will have a shitty reaction and be really mean. But there is someone out there who urgently needs to hear what you have to say and you need to show up for them. Like if you were in that person's shoes, you know, when I was younger, if I had someone say like, just try, like some dads are mean, just try. (laughs) Like you don't have to fulfill this role of like daughter or whatever. If it is suffocating you, like just try. So I think that, Um, It's really important to surround yourself with people who are saying those messages of continually affirming that you deserve to try. If you do experience pain, like there, there are things you can do. Like I will be there for you to talk through it or, you know, there's all these resources, but you have to try, you have to show up for yourself. You have to show up for other people and share what you've learned, share your story because you never know who might be listening. You never know who needs to hear exactly what you have to say. Absolutely. This is such a thing that I didn't even Mm -hmm. realize was a thing. (laughs) So I was in this, this course a couple of weeks ago, I wrote this in an email to my 
to my list. And it was about this woman that was in this course. And she was talking in a private breakout room about how she was afraid to do live videos. Mm -hmm. Because apparently this is a thing. People are afraid. It's a thing. I'm scared of it too. Yeah. I act like I'm not, but it is very scary. (laughs) It's very scary to a lot of people. I mean, one of my Mm -hmm. mentors has a really big issue with live videos. And I'm always like, you are beautiful. Can you please put your beautiful Mm. face on the camera? He does it all the time, but talks about how he's uncomfortable doing it. So that's why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Not me. I don't give a shit. I would take a shit on a live mm-hmm. video. Yeah, I believe you. I believe you. I've watched I your lives and I love them. I wouldn't even care. But mm-hmm. I was talking in this breakout room with this woman and talking about how she was, you know, really intimidated to do this. Well, we get on the next day. We're on this, you know, this is a five-day intensive 10 hours a day course. And we wow. get in, we're, we're having a conversation and this woman talks about her skydiving lessons and she's talking about like the eighth time that she jumped out of an airplane and I'm thinking this woman jumps out of airplanes has been has jumped out of an airplane to my knowledge at least eight times if not more since that was she was told the story on the eighth time this person has jumped out of an airplane at least eight times and is afraid to do a Mm -hmm. live video and I was then another woman in the course was talking about how she walks on the wings of airplanes she and I had connected about a week prior to the course. She is afraid of public speaking. Oh my God. And I was like, so we've got a wing walker who's afraid to speak in public. And we've got a skydiver who's afraid of a live video. And I was thinking about something that somebody had told me once about how people, this is all about rejection. People, oh, yeah. some people that would rather die, put mm-hmm. themselves in harm's way, throw themselves <laughs> off out of an airplane, mm-hmm. then face the possibility of rejection because the idea of the feeling of being rejected by somebody is so powerful that people do not want to feel it. Like, it's almost like the, why are you afraid to tell somebody I love you? It's because you're afraid Mm -hmm. they're not going to say it back. Mm -hmm. Like, and you're afraid that you won't be able to handle that crushing feeling if they don't say it back. Like Mm -hmm. that is like a crushing, debilitating feeling. And it's so scary that people would rather not put themselves out into the world because they're afraid that they're not going to get the desired result. But going off of that, I'm going to continue to just with this story. I, this weekend, somebody came up to me in Savannah and told me how much they loved my podcast and was listening to it. And it meant so much to me. It was just the ripples. I was just like, this is, this is incredible. Like, this is incredible that there are people that are listening, that are listening to this. And I mean, might might be listening right now. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, I don't know, but the idea that somebody could listen to this and, and want to listen to it and, and get value out of what we say. And it doesn't matter like what we're saying, you and I are saying different things than, you know, Ashley and I said, or that Julia and I mm-hmm. said, or that Eric and I said, like, we're all saying different things, but there are people on the other end that are hearing this. And to me, that's so much more important that those people are hearing these words. I don't give a fuck if Hater mm-hmm. City is listening. Like I wrote that email about the skydiver and the, and one of my biggest haters unsubscribed. And I was like, thank God. Thank God. Yeah, bye. <laughs> bye. Stupid ass is off my email list. Goodbye, mm-hmm. you hateful son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy. I was like, you know what? Because I only want the people here that want to be here. And yeah. if and you don't want to be here, good riddance. Go off mm-hmm. somewhere because haters are a good thing. If they hate you that much, they'll leave. You are going to create a tribe of people around you that love you so much. It doesn't even fucking matter. It doesn't even mm-hmm. fucking matter. So if people have this idea that they, that it's dangerous. It feels that way. Like that again, Mm -hmm. is like your brain perceives it as dangerous because of something that's happened in your life. And then your body responds with like the dog Mm -hmm. getting shocked. Your body Mm -hmm. will respond physically to what your brain is afraid of. And you just sit there in a hole and then you're 70 and your life is over. Yes. (laughs) Don't mind <laughs> That's an extreme example, but it's not, I mean, it happens. It's not like it doesn't happen all the time, Yeah, all the time. When do we, and people, it's kind of like how we, with our health, 
Like we don't want to do anything about our health until our health is bad, until something has gone awry. So we don't want to, you know, eat well. We would rather just wait till we have type two diabetes and manage that. It's like, Mm -hmm. we don't want to do anything in the immediacy about our life, not feeling great. But then when we are older, like 70, 75, we were okay with sitting in regret. It's like, Mm -hmm. did you, did you like holding in all of those emotions for 30, 40 years? Did you, Mm -hmm. did you like, did that feel good to you? That's four decades of keeping your shit to yourself. Ah, I could go on for, for ages, but I've talked too much. So I would, do you have anything to say on any of that? I mean, I, 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 talk too much. I do absolutely. And I mean, the whole point of this is to talk. So I love listening yeah. to everything that you have to share. Um, I did experience this recently. I, I self-published um, a guided journal. It's like half book, half guided journal where there's chapters of stories. And then at the end of each, um, there are writing prompts. And um, when I was working on it, I was telling the coach I was working with at the time, her name is Marissa Burdett. She's amazing. I was telling her, I think it's done. I've gone through four drafts. I think it's done. But when I put this out there, I can't get it back. And that's really scary. Like once I publish it and somebody buys it and I send it to them and then I flip through and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said this differently on page 85 and whatever. And you just feel like if you put it out there and it is received in some way or you have a regret and want to like make an edit, you can't. Same with like public speaking. You say something, you might be like, I said that really weird and wrong. And I really wish I could just like rewind time 30 seconds and fix it so that it's more clear or maybe less likely to get some kind of hateful feedback or whatever, or not offend anybody, whatever. And so I went through this and she said, what about the people who need it? Like, what about the people who need to read it and would benefit from it? So it's the same concept of sometimes it's not about you. Like there are people who need to hear what you have to say. And sure, it's very stressful to be, you know, open to criticism. But if you are not open to criticism and trying to grow yourself and put yourself in these life experiences that are outside of your comfort zone, then you will have a life that is much more closed in, much less bright because you're, you're like, you're experiencing the same things and it's, it might be comfortable but you might get to the end and realize like, oh, I wish I would have just published that. Like, I wish I would have just sent it out. Like, fuck whatever's on page 85. Like, I don't even think there's 85 pages in my journal. So this is not like in a specific example. Yeah, but, but, you, know, but you always have that thing about that one <laughs> sentence, that one sentence that yeah. honestly people might not even read. And it's not even because your work isn't good, but the things that people mm-hmm. pick out of my writing or the things that I say, half the time I don't even remember saying it. Like, I'll think mm-hmm. I'm having this big, profound going on right. and it'll be like, some innocuous detail in yeah. some random thing. And I'm like, that was what, that was what resonated with you. But, but mm-hmm. we have different human experiences. We have different yeah. human experiences. We have different upbringings. We have different traumas. We have different things that we want to work on. So I might think I might be right now working on my relationship with God or the universe or whatever, because that's the stage that I'm at. And somebody might just be trying to lose 20 pounds. And I might be talking about losing 20 right. pounds point in my life and that's the thing so it's like you can't you can't really tell you just have mm-hmm. to speak your beautiful truth and see what comes up and that's that's for that's for the world like that's your light that's your bright light that you're mm-hmm. that you're shining and I love I love this idea of that because I don't where I'm at right now is that I believe that we are all I, I'm not even sure necess- this is kind of a wild concept. So I'm not going to introduce the, the Ram Dass wild concept of that we are all actually just one person or we are all just one entity. But going off of the assumption that we're all still individuals, I believe that we are all working together on something. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's an individual thing at all. I think everybody has a place and people always think, oh, well, because I'm a writer. Well, there's already writers. But yeah, sure. Yes. Yes. It's already been done. You know, everything's been invented. It's already been done. It's already been said. What do I have to say? And it's like, but you are you and your life is your life is your life and no one else has lived it. And so there is absolutely something that you have to share that is unique or specifically touching to somebody like 
you know, you just have to do it. You just have to try. You never know how things are going to be received positively. We can always catastrophize and be like, oh my God, everyone's going to read this and hate me, or I'm going to lose my job and whatever. It's like, who are you as a whole person outside of what any other like hater thinks? Because the person who's going through your articles and critiquing all this stuff is really just self-critiquing. Like it really is just, well, I can't put this out there because someone will read it and pick out just the, the you know, unimportant stuff. And, and they're doing the same thing because that's what they're afraid of. And it's almost like we create our realities. We absolutely create our realities. Our, our mindset are, is so important. What we believe about ourselves in the world is so important. And so even today, when the internet has gone crazy, even today, I still believe that most people are good. I still believe that most people care. I, I still believe that I am one of those people too, even though you know the internet is full of the things that are most um, outlandish and wild and you know fear inducing because that's what we gravitate towards. Just like you said, it's a safety thing. Our brains are like, what do I need to pay attention to so that I don't get killed? Like what is important for us to log so that I don't do this again and experience pain? Um, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So just looking for the positive, surrounding yourself with those messages because they exist. They're just quieter yeah. um, and putting those out there too. So when you were talking about Yelp, every time I, because I'm trying to counteract all this like public bad shit that gets recycled all over again, I, every time I get like an email from, you know, you just had an appointment with your dentist, leave us a review on Google. I'm like, I will leave you a review on Google because you deserve it. And someone who's looking for, you know, a feeling like I had to get and is really scared and really an anxious person, you are so good at, um, you know, assuaging their fears. And just like, she talked to me about the, her favorite Mexican restaurant for like 35 minutes, it's amazing. And so I left her a beautiful review because I also want to read that. I want to read yeah. that shit. I don't just want to read like, you know, she was late because she had other patients. Can you believe it? It was horrible. I'm never going back. Like, I don't, I think that we. Every doctor we, in the history of ever, you know? Like, do- yeah, because they're overscheduled. It is what it is. Like, And they have sorry. been for 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, plan so two yeah. hours if it's an hour. Yeah. It is exactly. But write the good things, write the, mm-hmm. write that personal connection. You're, and you're all about that's uh, that that's, that's trying so you. you're all about mm-hmm. the personal connection like mm-hmm. if I write this story if I if I if I put this out let me have this personal connection there's so mm-hmm. that's so important now and you were talking about social in the internet and like the internet's interesting because we we it's just a mirror so whatever we put mm-hmm. out is what we see so like I didn't really engage with any radical content during the last election. So I didn't see radical content. Because right. if the internet sees that you like to engage with radical content, it will show you more radical content. So mm-hmm. it's like, this is not something that people know. So people get this odd. When I was studying in undergrad, I studied communications. And one of the first concepts was this mediated reality. This is what we learned. Okay. So people think the world's more dangerous because it's a mediated reality. That was about television. Now this is back in 2000. Mm. I think this is my freshman year of college. So I was a freshman in 2004, 2004 to 2005. This is a long time ago. I'm old. Um, and <laughs> we, I, and we learned about that from television and no one's really translated that to the internet and algorithms and social media. Although I did watch the social dilemma and it's great. And I think everyone should, yes. I mean, or watch mm-hmm. it or, or read it too. I think it's based on a book, not of the same name. Oh, I did not know that. I think so. Uh, my friend Elliot said that, but I don't know the name of the book. So don't quote me, but it is, it was a great movie. I see that you've mm-hmm. watched, I watched it that as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I get that, but people are not even, people aren't really looking at this now as like, oh, this is all, this is all made up. Like this is, this is just an altered reality. It's not what's real. And so we have this mm-hmm. idea when you're saying that people are inherently good, I believe that. And I believe people are just trying to ensure their safety and that they stay alive. 
mm-hmm. I think that's just what everybody wants. And people will get, you know, people on all sides will start yelling about that statement. But that's, but really at the very basis, people just want to make sure they stay alive. They want to make sure that they do the thing that has kept them alive the longest. So sometimes altering even one belief is really, really hard, especially, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to get political in anything because I'm a fully vaccinated human and have been since <laughs> last March. But a lot of what people don't look at is that individual human experiences are what keep people sometimes from doing what they feel is uns- is unsafe. So to them, even though even though science is perfectly safe in most cases, mm-hmm. some people have had traumatic life experiences where they can't give up yeah. agency over their bodies and they might've been raped. They might've been abused. They might've been. So to give up that agency is crippling for them. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and you know, the internet is likely to say, oh, this person is horrible, but it's really that people are just trying to make sure they stay alive. And maybe mm-hmm. they're misinformed because they're, because they're engaging with all the content that that they they want to see so they're seeing more of it because mm-hmm. the internet kind of works like your brain it's not a truth teller it's a confirmation no. it, it yes. gives you confirmation on what you already want to see so yelling at people is like the most ineffective strategy in the world <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just it's so ineffective like there's people always think i'm doing so well because i'm yelling the truth at people but you're still yelling at people Mm-hmm. And when is it? And when nobody wants to listen to yelling. Nobody wants to listen to that. <laughs> no one, no one will. Mm-hmm. They, they will, they will turn off the radio. Mm-hmm. Like I, I say the radio because I'm an old woman. Like they'll turn <laughs> off the radio. <laughs> they'll put in a CD. Like right. Hey, I I miss my CD player in my car. I've got some good CDs that I have nothing to do with now. <laughs> Did you have the big binder with the flaps where it was I all? Had, it was a little. It was a single square, so it was like one CD per page. I just had like the little tiny glove box one, not the big book. But I know what the binder is. I'm 28. I'll be 29 in like two months, so I'm not that young. <laughs> you're you're a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. A little bit behind. I know. I know. Yeah, but I remember those days. Those were good days. But I do. I love. I loved CD players. It was a thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's just. It's all. It's all very fascinating about humans. I, talking about other humans, um, you take submissions to Miss Magnolia says, correct? I mean, are people writing into you? Are people sharing their stories? Yeah, just I just. You? Yeah, so I started the blog back in I think 2014 when I was in college and it very much served as kind of like an online journal for me at the time it was just like I don't want to describe it as venting because it felt like structured and purposeful but it was still for me and other people read it and gave me feedback like oh my gosh thank you for sharing this that was so special but it wasn't a structured like business idea made for other people at the time so I re-launched um, it and in 2020, I think in May. Um, and one, I still wrote it the first like 25 articles from my perspective, because I was new, like I was, there was basically no audience and there's still like just a few people on my email list. Like, but I recently asked, um, like my email list and Instagram people like submit your stories. Like I want to put other perspectives on here. This is not just for me. This is not an echo chamber of Emily's life. Like I, I think it's much more meaningful to other people who um, may read it to read more than one perspective. And so I know I'm one in 7 billion people on the planet or whatever. And so um, yes, we are any submissions. Um, the only requirement is try to keep like the tone of the blog, I still want it to be uplifting and honest and, um, you know, nothing like, I don't know, slamming other people, or I don't think that that's who reads my stuff anyway. Um, but that's it. Like share your story, make it, you know, relevant to other people, like include tips and, you know, and it, you don't have to be quote unquote qualified as a writer. I don't have a writing degree. I don't have a communications degree. Like I have three psych degrees and I like, I don't, I don't get to write creatively for work. So this is what I do. So write, submit, whatever. I would love it. And where can everybody find you? Good question. So uh, the blog is missmagnoliasays.com. 
And my Instagram is just at Miss Magnolia says same with my TikTok. Um, I'm kind of too old for TikTok. I really don't keep up with it. It's a lot of work. I think that you're um, too old for TikTok. I can't do it. I really can't. I had to, I had to YouTube, like, how do you make a reel and watch hours of video? I'm like, okay, this is how you like slide text over and make it. It was exhausting. <laughs> so still learning, but yeah, Instagram is probably the best place. And then I have an email list too, just like you, where on Mondays I send out a newsletter. Oftentimes I'll send like freebies and stuff. So you can get on that by just going to the blog and scrolling all the way down to the footer. The blog is missmagnoliasays.com. Yep. You got it. Amazing. Got it. We are coming to the end of the hour. Emily, is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners? Any parting words? Anything like that? Ooh, this makes me think I really have to come up with something profound on the spot. <laughs> I would just say, um, give yourself grace. Like nobody comes into the world knowing it all. We all are just being shaped by our environment, but we do have, you know, personal choice in there. So just always reminding yourself, um, there are things I can do even when it feels like there's nothing and giving yourself time to pause and um, really evaluating, okay, what can I do in this moment? If I see nothing, what can I read or who can I ask? Or, you know, what can I consume that can widen my perspective to see more options or more positivity or whatever it is in the world? Um, And that's it. Be kind. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to other people. Have fun. (laughs) Be kind. Be kind to other people and have fun. Such important stuff. Thank you so much for being here today, Emily. This was really awesome. Absolutely. It was so much fun. Thank you, Amelia and Andy. I love it. (laughs) I love your podcast so much. Oh, thank you. Isn't she great? Emily Rose, MsMagnoliaSays.com is where you can find her blog. If you want to submit, you definitely can do that. She is also on Instagram at MsMagnoliaSays. So definitely check her out. Go to her website. Get on her email list so you can hear from her every Monday. Mental health is so important, and I love people that are just willing to speak loud and proud about it. And Emily is just awesome. So excited I've had her here today. I will be back next Monday, everybody, with a very special guest. But until then, you can check me out on my website, getthefuckoff.com, where you can find this and all previous episodes of the Get the Fuck Off podcast. You can get on my email list. Um, And if you guys want to be a guest on the Get the Fuck Off podcast or there's anything you feel like talking about, just reach out to me, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. I am super responsive to email. It's like the new social media for me, like we talked about in the episode. (laughs) So you guys can definitely reach out to me and uh, I would love to hear from you. So next Monday, I will see you back here. Same time, same place. Maybe not same time, but definitely same place. Till then, take care and be safe. We'll see you back here next time. (laughs) 